My question is, are you going to be able to place a sports bet while you're riding the red line? <laughs> there you go. You're bringing I mean, it all together. Let's all together. bring it into the uh, Just do it all. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Bracing for the impact of Hurricane Dorian this Labor Day weekend. Federal officials preparing to deal with the storm's aftermath. We'll much more later this morning on Face the Nation and on Fox News Sunday. Meantime, two of the most powerful men in Washington were right here in Indiana this past week. Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo speaking at the American Legion's National Convention. We'll have my conversation with the Secretary of State coming up. But first, Nick McGill follows the VP to a law enforcement roundtable where the topic of mass shootings took center stage. Nick. The vice president holding a round table with Indiana law enforcement, focusing on just one thing, preventing tragedies like the mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton. He says he believes laws like the one the state of Indiana has on the books can help. During the round table, Pence highlighted Indiana's red flag laws as a tool that's helped to prevent incidents of gun violence, specifically when it comes to those with mental health issues and instances of suicide. Indiana's red flag law was inspired and named after IMPD officer Jake Laird. Pence said President Trump is looking closely at red flag laws as a method of dealing with gun violence and mass shootings, but stopped short of saying the administration would pursue a nationwide policy. As, as we look at this, proposals in Congress are designed to encourage states to adopt these laws because the ability to process uh, these warrants to, to provide individuals with the due process that's essential to protect the constitutional rights of every American best happen in state and local jurisdictions. But how much the administration will aid in encouraging those other states remains to be seen. All right, Nick, thanks. As we mentioned, Vice President Pence also spoke at the American Legion's National Convention, where I caught up Tuesday with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo for a one-on-one -on -one interview on the president's foreign policy and the trade wars. He's America's top diplomat, and he came here to Indianapolis for the 100th anniversary of the American Legion. We're not going to apologize for America anymore. During his visit, I had the chance to sit down with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo for a one-on-one -on -one interview. Here for the 100th anniversary of the American Legion, honoring our, our veterans and our military. And I will start by asking broadly, is the world a, a safer place than it was four years ago or a more chaotic one? And, and where are we headed when it comes to American involvement in global affairs? I'm very confident that it's a safer place today than it was when this administration took over. Uh, I could go through the places, uh, but know that it's American leadership, uh, a core belief that uh, America is a force for good around the world that has permitted us to take down threats that were in North Korea. When we came into office, ISIS was on the rise throughout the Middle East, and we've taken down the caliphate. Uh, the list of places where we've enhanced American security is long. I'm, I'm proud of what we've accomplished. There's still a lot of risk out there in the world, and it's what um, my team at the State Department and our Department of Defense grade uh, soldiers, sailors, and air marines are working on to protect the American people every day. But after a wild week on Wall Street, we also talked trade with Indiana farmers feeling the effects of the trade war with China. I want to talk about the trade war as well. The president at the G7 this past week and obviously a lot of talk about trade in China. Farmers here in Indiana have really been struggling this year. You recently told a group of business executives that you think the trade, trade war with China could come to an end by next year's election. Are those talks ongoing and, and how are they progressing? 
President Trump uh, took on a challenge that, that I knew well. I served as a member of Congress from Kansas, another farm state where we grew wheat and corn and all the kinds of things we do here in Indiana as well. Uh, and I watched. I watched China block our products from being sold, and I watched Europe too deny our high-quality farm products access to their markets, and President Trump is determined to fix that uh, to the great benefit of uh, farmers and working-class manufacturing people. I ran a small manufacturing business in Kansas, uh, manufacturing people all across America. And so we're working to fix it. The timeline's always difficult to predict, uh, but make no mistake about it. President Trump is out making sure and fighting on behalf of those who want to serve those markets that have been uh, unfairly displaced by the fact that China just wouldn't permit our products to move in. And frankly, when they did take our products, they stole the intellectual property that underlays them. We're going to fix those things. These are tough fights. President Trump is determined. Some have blamed the president's tweets, though, for the market reacting the way it did last Friday. Even Prime Minister Boris Johnson at the G7 called for uh, the trade war to be toned down in some, in, to some degree. What was your reaction to the prime minister's remarks on that? You know, the focus inside the administration is really very plain. It is to get a good outcome for American workers and for American farmers. Uh, that's it. There's a lot of noise, lots of folks saying things, talking about different things, but our efforts uh, are, are very focused. We, we know the things that China must do to open those markets and permit our companies to trade in a fair and reciprocal way. If, a, if your company wanted to invest in China, uh, it couldn't do so in the same way a Chinese company could invest in America. Uh, that's not right. It's not fair to American workers, and President Trump's going to fix it. I want to ask about Dan Coats as well. Of course, served as senator right here in Indiana before becoming director of national intelligence. Uh, he left the administration this past month after a, a lot of reports that he and the president were, were perhaps not always on the same page. Was that the case from your perspective? So I had the chance to work closely with Dan. I was the CIA director uh, when he was the director of national intelligence. So he led uh, the team that uh, supervised the CIA. I got to see him. Uh, we briefed the president, goodness gracious, almost every day for uh, a long time, a year and a half. Uh, I was proud to do it alongside him. He served America and Indiana as well. I think there just came a time where uh, Dan decided for a host of reasons he would uh, go on to the next chapter of his life. I, uh, I thanked Dan for his service personally. I did it publicly as well. He's a great American, a true patriot. There were reports, though, that, uh, that Director Coates thought his warnings about Russian aggression were being watered down. Yeah, that's just not true. Um, I, I've watched this president, usually around election interference is where that, uh, that boge boogeyman <laughs> rises. Um, I, I've watched this administration take on election interference in the most serious ways. Uh, it was the previous administration, everybody has to remember, the previous administration where the 2016 shenanigans took place that the world has focused on. And uh, we're determined to make sure that no country, whether it's Iran or North Korea or China or Russia, interferes in the next election. We were pretty successful in the 2018 election, and I'm confident we'll be successful in 2020 as well. Should Russia be invited back into the G7? Should it be the G8 again? The president is Yeah, the president thinks that. so. Do you agree? The president thinks that's what we should do. Uh, I, I work for the president. Of course, we're going to work towards that end. What about Iran? More talks at the G7 this past week. Could there be a new nuclear deal with Iran in the works? Well, we've been aiming to do a couple simple things. Uh, first, is to ensure that the world's largest state sponsor of terror, the revolutionary regime in Iran, uh, doesn't conduct terror around the world. And we continue to work towards that. We don't want them to get a nuclear weapon. Uh, we have applied an enormous pressure 
to enable the Iranian people to change the direction of their leadership. That's our hope. That's our goal. When they do that, uh, there'll be a new solution. There'll be a new understanding and set of agreements. We hope that that comes sooner rather than later. It would be in the best of the, uh, interest of the world for that to happen. And most importantly, it would create security for the American people. That's our mission, and it's our aim. Was the G7 a success in your view? Yes, it was absolutely successful. I think those leaders now understand America's position on a broad range of issues in ways that they couldn't do without having had that personal interaction with America's leader. All right, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, thank you so thank much. You, sir. A lot of talk, though, about the G7. We mentioned Dan Coats there this week, another former member of the administration making news, General Jim Mattis, with an op-ed saying, among other things, the U.S. is, quote, at risk in the world when it doesn't embrace its allies. We have a link to that article on our website. Coming up, the latest controversy with DCS, and we're talking about the race for mayor here in Indianapolis. The candidates going head-to-head -head on some of the biggest issues facing our city. Now to the latest on the race for mayor. This Labor Day weekend, the campaign's kicking into high gear for the final stretch till Election Day. This past week, Mayor Joe Hogsett and Senator Jim Merritt met on the debate stage, and our Beer Shell Edme was there. This was the first time that we saw these two candidates head-to-head -head debating and talking about what they want to see for the future of Indianapolis. Among the topics that were discussed, finding jobs, fixing our roads, and the big one, stopping gun violence. It's the question Indy residents want answered. What will the next mayor do about gun violence? The Republican opponent letting voters know what he thinks about the current mayor's policies. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. You've had three and a half years. What you're doing is not working. Merritt proposing instead to better train officers and recruit more of them. His top solution, a deputy mayor of public safety, though he can't detail how he will pay for this. Progress is being made, and it's because of the investments that we have made over the last four years. The mayor said he'll double down on his work. I pressed him on how he will do it. Specifically, uh, we're going to be uh, implementing a currently piloted body cam program, which is another addition. Uh, to, I think, uh, a community-based policing approach. Another big topic, jobs and economic development, as nearly 20% of Indianapolis residents live in poverty. It's all about a focus not so much on the quantity of jobs, although more jobs are always a priority, but actually looking at the quality of those jobs. Any economic development deal has to be good for the city of Indianapolis, and you do have uh, the incentives there. I followed up and asked what economic policy plans the state senator has right now. The RCA plant was taken down and, and, and there's a pad there. I think that we ought to uh, give a, a, the opportunity to developers to develop that property but in concert with what the neighborhood wants. We expect to hear much more from each candidate about the policy plans they have laid out for Indianapolis. That will happen at the second debate, October 28th, on Fox 59. All right, Beershell, thanks. Let's get reaction to the debate now with our panelists, former council candidate Lee Riley Evans, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, Democratic strategist Laura Beck, and 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. Lee, I'll start with you. What were your biggest takeaways from the debate? 
My biggest takeaways were that we seem to be hearing some of the same information from the Oxet campaign that we've heard in previous campaigns. And so I'm really excited to see some action toward those neighborhood initiatives. And I'm concerned about Merritt's um, readiness. That was my biggest takeaway. Uh, Mike, I'll go to you next. Uh, Mayor Hogsett's uh, campaign after the debate declaring victory, as all campaigns typically sure. do after sure. a debate. Right? They both did think? well, actually. Um, Hogsett was very defensive, but he's up. He didn't really offer any new ideas or anything. He's up 30 points in the polls or whatever. So his goal was just don't make any mistakes, which I think he succeeded in doing. Merritt had to be more aggressive. He was more aggressive. He got some great points out, particularly on uh, Hogsett's uh, inability to bring down crime, the murder rate particularly. Um, I was a little concerned about uh, uh, the appearance of Merritt's like profuse sweating. It reminded you me were of there. Nixon. Was it warm I was in the, in the room. room. Yeah. No, it was okay. Yeah. But it was, it was, he reminded me of Nixon in his first debate back in, in 1960 with Kennedy. It was I don't know what the problem was, but we'll try to, to solve that. We'll try to keep things cool when yeah. we were here in yeah. a few weeks. Uh, Laura, you've also got I, the... I just don't even really know how to <laughs> you know segue how to into the next, so next topic. Well, we're also talking about infrastructure right, here, too, right? right? Uh, you've mm -hmm. got the red line launching today and more mm -hmm. broadly this issue of infrastructure in the debate the other night and generally throughout this campaign. Uh, how big of an issue will that be? How will the red line go over politically? I guess it remains to be seen how, how well everything comes together. Yeah, I think it does remain to be seen. I think there is cause for a lot of great optimism because we are a city that desperately needs mass transit and we need it in a way like this and um, I think there's a, a lot of uh, good potential there. Uh, going back to the debate when we talk about infrastructure, um, Mayor Huxett has really, really worked hard to put forward some very thoughtful plans as to how we fund uh, transportation and infrastructure. Part of it is looking at it as a region, for example, and I think that one of Merritt's big challenges are that, it, it, that he just does not have a plan in place for this. It's I'm against what Hogsett's saying, or I want to I want to do tolls, or I want to do something that is against it. And every time, it just doesn't bring people over to it a side. Remains to be seen if yeah. their Hogsett's plan has buy-in from some of the surrounding counties, as we've talked about. We'll but see. Yeah. Tony, uh, your thoughts on the debate? I can only think about whether I'm sweating or not. Or <laughs> you Mike's look good. Make... Right. <laughs> you so, look great, Tony. Thanks. <laughs> Um, back to the topic. Um, you know, Merritt, Merritt has been putting out plans. He's got his SOS plan for the city, safety, opportunity, and streets. Um, if you look at his website, he's got a lot of details on the Merritt moves on what he's going to do on public safety. Um, I'm, I'm encouraged, and, and yes, he's down in, in the polls, but you would expect that uh, when, with people not paying attention. I think now, you know, more of a focus is going to be on the race. Also, looking at Hogshead and his plans, yeah, you really have to look at the results. He's had four years, and I keep saying this. He hasn't accomplished much in those four years. So people really have to look at, uh, you know, they gave this guy a chance. Merits, merits the guy for the future, I think, and they need to give him a chance. All right, speaking of debates, we're going to do one of our own, as we just mentioned, on Fox 59 coming up in October, October the 28th. Fox 59 will televise a live debate featuring the candidates for mayor, 7 p.m. I'll be moderating the debate as we team up with the Westside Chamber of Commerce to get answers from the candidates on a wide range of issues only on Fox 59. All right, meantime, the next debate in the race for president just days away, and this time it's one night only. Ten candidates made the 
cuts, including former VP Joe Biden, Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Kamala Harris, and South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. By the way, Buttigieg and Biden will both appear next week on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on CBS4. This week, the candidates were out on the campaign trails, taking their fight straight to the president. Meantime, this week, we also caught up with both of Indiana's senators for their thoughts on how the president is handling the trade war. Tariffs on soybeans uh, just add to an already complicated existence for farmers. Things could get better with respect to uh, the trade talks, and uh, I'm hopeful they do. Now, we also spoke with Senator Young about the administration's decision, as Dorian bears down, to reportedly move DHS money from hurricane relief to the border. I haven't looked closely uh, at that proposal. I do think it's Congress's job, uh, absent some sort of uh, emergency that's already provided for uh, in our laws to appropriate funds. Uh, but uh, look, we got to take care of people uh, who have been hit by hurricanes. At the same time, we need to secure our border. It's something I've consistently been supportive of. All right, some other headlines uh, this week to get to. We will talk more about that on our podcast. Also, we have some news in terms of the race for Congress here. Uh, Kelly Mitchell, Republican, running for Congress in the 5th Congressional District. That news just out this week. Uh, she will be uh, officially entering the race, we just learned. Meantime, the state superintendent holding a press conference this past week as the governor asks lawmakers to hold schools harmless for the iLearn scores that will show a drop in test results for Indiana students. The assessment was much more rigorous this year compared to in the past. The skills that had a lot more weight on their schools or on their scores that were assessed um, looked different than they did in the past. House and Senate leadership saying they support the idea of this one-year reprieve. Also at the State House, the latest controversy at the Department of Child Services. The Indy Star reporting this week that the number two official at the agency, Todd Meyer, left DCS because of inappropriate text messages sent to a young intern. Uh, he would ask her personal questions about the perfume that she was wearing, and it just escalated to a point where she felt it was inappropriate and uncomfortable, and she didn't know how to make him stop. So it was, in fact, handled appropriately. This was brought to uh, the attention of the agency on one day and was followed up all the way up through the chain, and uh, he resigned the very next day. Meyer apologized in a statement he sent to our newsroom Thursday. Meantime, Indiana Democrats issuing this statement, taking aim at Governor Holcomb, saying Holcomb's handpicked hire to turn around the agency resigned in disgrace. Did the administration, Zodi asks, fail to vet Meyer? It's just the latest example, John Zodi says, in his words, of a culture of cronyism fueled by little to no accountability, where the governor allows perpetrators to quietly slink away without facing consequences. The governor did say he was disturbed by these allegations, Lee, as, as a lot of people are. Right. It is disturbing. I want to applaud the, the intern for having the courage to step forward. We unfortunately are seeing several tendencies of, of hiding some of this information and not really listening to the victims of these appropriate actions. So it is disturbing, but I'm glad that she was able to have comfort in her support to tell the story as well as to feel good to step away from it. What about the back and forth here about how it was handled? Well, obviously she's a courageous young girl, but neither party is immune from um, strange immoral acts. I mean, we can go back to Jack Crawford. We can go back to Dwayne Brown, who you don't even want to talk about what he did on TV. Um, and so both parties have had, you know, problems from time to time. 
And you're going to see that throughout history. It's, it's a matter of how you deal with it. I think Holcomb dealt with it very judiciously and quickly. Laura? Well, I agree with Lee. I think we <clears throat> definitely need to commend this, this courageous woman for coming forward because in the past, women weren't coming forward. And they were not in an environment where they felt comfortable to come forward. And so I, I think we need, to, I need to, we need to commend her for that. Um, at the same time, I think there really is a culture at the state house that absolutely needs to be changed. You're seeing it changing all over the rest of the of the world. You're seeing it changing in all of these different um, corporate environments and um, financial environments, but you're not seeing it change at the Indiana State House. And it's really time that 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 happens. Um, the challenge becomes with this story is. What else is out there with this Todd Meyer? Um, he was a prosecutor. He should have known better. Boone County um, prosecutor. Boone County yeah. prosecutor, exactly. And so he also wasn't focusing clearly on kids and the job he was supposed to do, and that's going to open and open up a lot of people for questions. We have to leave it there. We're going to talk more on our podcast. Up next, we'll also talk about today's rollout of legalized sports gambling, and we'll also get Governor Holcomb's thoughts on this big story from last weekend. Andrew Luck's retirement next. With the NFL season starting next weekend, some programming changes to our Sunday morning lineup. You see it right there. Of course, big changes for the Colts as well, and a lot of reaction this week to Andrew Luck's retirement. He made the right decision for him. As, as um, hard as it is for, for folks to uh, hear it, uh, that, that wanted to see him bring a Super Bowl ring back to Indianapolis, and I bet you he was one of them. Other Indiana politicians also sharing their thoughts on Luck's retirement this week. In a tweet, Vice President Mike Pence said he was, quote, disappointed by the news. Well, starting today, it is legal to bet on sports in the state of Indiana. In fact, Governor Holcomb will place the first bet at noon today in Shelbyville. This past week, the Gaming Commission met to finalize all of the details. We're now one of 12 states with legal sports betting. As you see here on this map, it is illegal in most surrounding states. Some Indiana casinos taking bets starting today. Others will take bets later this week, right as football season gets underway. Stick around. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. All right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tony. I'm just picking a loser this week. It's James Comey for uh, the IG report coming out. as a scathing report against him, all the rules that he broke when this Russian collusion hoax started. More to come. Laura. I'm going to pick a winner this week, and that's Joe Hogsett. He had a great debate. Um, he's got a plan, and uh, Senator Merritt does not. Mike. Winner has to be Haley Colombo for an outstanding job of moderating yep. last week's Absolutely. debate. And the losers had to be anybody who booed Andrew Luck last week. <laughs> Lee, get the last word. All right. The biggest winner today is the bread line. We get, as a city, the ability to celebrate improved mass transit. I'm excited to have that happen and everyone be able to ride free for the entire month of September. It starts today. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Let's talk more here on the podcast today with Lee Riley Evans, Mike Murphy, Laura Beck, and Tony Samuel. Uh, our program airs on Sundays. Uh, this particular Sunday is a pretty big one uh, in Indiana for a couple of reasons. You mentioned the red line yes. starts today it in the is. city of Indianapolis. Very exciting. Also, legalized sports gambling starts today as well uh, at a number of Indiana casinos. Governor Eric Holcomb himself will be placing a bet today at noon in Shelbyville uh, to mark the very first legal bet placed in Indiana. We were talking about this before we taped the program. Um, he's going out there, taking part in this photo op. We were all saying something Governor Pence. You never, never have seen done. Pence, or Daniels, mm -hmm. O'Bannon, Kernan, or uh, Evan Bye. Yeah. 
uh, do that. I mean, I, I think it says I think it says something about how comfortable Holcomb is with himself. I mean, he's not trying to be somebody. He is somebody. Went and did a photo op as well when uh, Sunday alcohol sales right. yeah. came. I mean, he just has fun. He's enjoying it. Yeah. It's a real guy. I mean, he, yeah. he, he is. Tony, this is that. something you've worked behind the scenes on this issue in terms of uh, casino, the casino industry in our state. It's pretty momentous to see this, uh, to see is, this come to fruition. Especially when you saw the graph of uh, all the surrounding states that don't have sports betting. And um, it, it's going to be an economic driver for the state. My question is, are you going to be able to place a sports bet while you're riding the red line? <laughs> there you go. You're bringing I mean, it all together. Let's all together. bring it into the, uh, Just do it all. the other big story of this past week and the, the Colts changing odds. My goodness. Yeah. What a stunner last weekend uh, when we heard the news that Andrew Luck was yeah. retiring. Mm -hmm. uh, but speaking of being your own man, like the, Governor Holcomb, good for Andrew Luck, realizing what he needed for himself and his family as opposed to whether or not the bets would would soar or fall. Sure, so. yeah, a lot of people have talked about that, uh, the timing of it, all, all of it. Um, uh, Governor Holcomb, will he place a bet on the Colts today, do you suspect? I have no idea. I'm ceding all of my time to Tony Samuel since he didn't get a chance to talk at all on In Focus today. Tony, you can answer that question. I don't know what to say. Uh, uh, Willie, yeah, I, I think uh, that would be a good, it's a good the, PR the, move for yeah, him to bet on the Colts. Yeah, um, right. Hopefully it pays off. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I should bring this up or not, but just <laughs> looking back at, at everything, I mean, I, I became more of a Peyton Manning fan after he had to leave and go to Denver. I mean, look at all the records that he broke in Denver and being in two Super Bowls, winning a Super Bowl. The bet was on Andrew Luck, and mm -hmm. it just didn't pay off, unfortunately. Maybe he comes back. Hopefully he does. Hopefully this is the best thing for his life, but, but I wonder if there's any second guessing going on. You never know what will happen uh, next, right? We certainly know that in the world of politics and the world of sports as well. Uh, let's talk about the other big, uh, as we just mentioned, thing that starts today, the red line. Mm -hmm. I know this is something that, uh, that you've talked a lot about and what it will mean for the community. Uh, a lot of getting used to it, though, too. Definitely. Obviously, a lot of lane markings. Um, could there be the chance, potentially, if it doesn't go well, it becomes a political liability for the mayor here? It could, but I don't think that that's going to happen. I know um, as Hoosiers, we struggle sometimes managing change, and just because you can drive across that median line and that kind of bumpy thing in the road doesn't mean that you should. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm sure there'll be some accidents that will happen, but the improved access to our employment centers and education opportunities I think will outweigh and have this be a very positive political um, story. Mike? Well, I got to be careful. I got to say that our company represents work, yeah. the red line okay, a little bit. But as just as a citizen, whether Republican or Democrat, I always hope projects like this work mm -hmm. yeah. uh, because the city's invested in it. So. I, I grew up in a city in northern Minnesota that had really good public transportation. And the way a city with good public transportation and with reliable public transportation operates and the way one that, that doesn't. doesn't is very different. And I really have observed in the last year, I've um, represented Lime, um, the micromobility company that has scooters. Yes, we um, were calling you every week. Uh, yes, and, and, and I... Lime-related story. Yeah, and I no longer do. Um, <laughs> and I've been very grateful for the experience. But I worked with them in other markets. And what was fascinating to me in a community such as Minneapolis and St. Paul that has a very reliable transportation network, scooters were not seen as toys there. They were seen as that last mile transportation option. And Yeah, exactly. And so I think that we have been so behind the times that change is going to be hard, but 
I think that younger generation, the millennials, the folks who really want to rely on this and who can rely on it, I think it's going to make a big difference for them. Especially those that don't even have a choice but to rely on exactly. it. And exactly. So having the red line now running, yeah. is it what, 20 hours a day yeah. and seven days a week? I mean, just the right. improved access is going to be huge. And it's going to be, yeah. Tony, as we mentioned earlier, more broadly, the topic of infrastructure has been a big one in the mayoral campaign. A lot of ideas out there, the mayor's talked about. Um, collecting tax from other uh, counties where people commute into Indianapolis. Senator Merritt has talked about uh, at one point a toll road on Bidford and then in the debate a toll lane perhaps. Uh, Laura with some could, laughter there could you on just that. just imagine I, what the traffic would be like? I mean, people complain now about red line traffic. If you were to be backed up on Binford and a toll lane, I mean, well, yeah, lose I, their mind. I, I, I think what Merritt's trying to do is look at all, put all kinds of ideas on the table. I think that's put other options very smart. Too. He's talking about folks that are from outside the county, but using roads inside the county. And, and there's a lot of that, obviously. And so it, would it be fair, similar to what I think Hogsett's trying to do with mm -hmm. the with the, uh, you know surrounding counties, only nobody in those counties uh, is buying into it. So there's a lot of different infrastructure issues, including potholes. Again, I go back to, you know, this mayor had four years and we had a, a huge problem with, with potholes. I know, because I got several flat tires. So why give him another chance? Uh, you know, look to the future and the guy that's uh, got good plans to, to fix things. Yeah. I think any mayor who backs Hogsett's plan to tax the donut counties so he can build more roads here in Indianapolis should be glad there's not a recall process here in Indiana because their citizens should recall them immediately. Yeah, you're saying well, the suburban cities. The suburban what would, what would be, a, what would be an alternative? It. I mean, we, if we don't think like a region, um, most of the, I mean, we go back and forth to the various counties all the time. So what's, what's well, an think, alternative think, way to I fund it? I think counting the lane miles is one example of, of ways that Marion County could gain more. Uh, when I was in the legislature, I was actually the only uh, legislator from Marion County who actually voted believe it or not, to change the definition of vehicles to include pickup trucks. Because in order to help Marion County with their, their gas tax or whatever, they, the pickup trucks in Indiana were not considered motor vehicles. Mm. And that that's frankly screwed the, the, the rural counties in favor of Marion County and Allen County and a couple other counties. So I think there is fairness that can be brought to the system without adding taxes and without without siphoning money away from the donut counties, frankly, that's why those people moved out there, was for less taxation, less crime, better schools. Well, whatever the answer is, it sounds like something that's going to have to be settled by the legislature. Definitely. Sure. Well, and, and to that point, who's the better guy to work with the legislature? It's definitely Merritt. I mean, it's a Republican-controlled supermajorities in both House and Senate. Merritt's been one of them for decades. Yeah. Yeah, but um, he's... It's, it's not going to be Hogsett. He's be been Merritt. one of them. He's been one of them for decades, but hasn't made any progress towards solving the problem. Oh, sure, he has. He's, he's done all kinds well, of things. Well, and then get back to Tony's point, you know, like it or hate it, the fact is the Republicans are going to control the legislature. They have super majorities in the House and the Senate. There's only, they're down to like nine senators on the Democratic side. They're going to control the House and the Senate for the foreseeable future. I think barring, they got back up to 10. Did they have they to back up to 10? God bless them. Double digits. <laughs> God bless them. But, but the my point is, barring some huge national scandal, which could always happen, <laughs> or some, some, some <laughs> huge scandal here in the state, you know, on the, on the scale of a Watergate, the Republicans are going to control the legislature for probably the least next 12 years because they're going to redistrict, too, here. Of course in they a year are. Or two. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, one of the controversies at the State House this past week. We talked about it on the program here, the DCS. 
situation obviously has raised a lot of eyebrows this week. It was uh, reported in the Star. Uh, Chris Sickich, Tony Cook broke that story uh, this past week about why Todd Meyer stepped down. We may not have known uh, why he left uh, mysteriously a month ago, if not for that reporting. This exactly, because that's what we were saying off camera is that this information had been hidden just a little bit. I mean, it was more than a month ago that it happened. And to, to Laura's point, just uh, addressing what the culture is at the state house and across the state is so important because we should be able to have this information and make sure that all the victims are no longer victims or at least protected. I'd have to say the governor was under absolutely no obligation to hold a news conference and say a creepy guy just resigned. I don't think he, he held a news conference. Well, no, I think they he was, just, no, he's under no obligation I mean, to. I think he had my media availability. Is, There's a difference. My, my, no, but you missed my point. My point is that he acted quickly. The guy resigned within 24 hours. He was gone. The problem was excised out of state government. And, but he, he had no obligation to come forward and say, I got rid of a creep. That's one of the reasons you want a free press, is so they can look into those well, things. Well, that's the, that's the difference the between him resigning or being fired. Had he been fired, I believe, they would have had to publicly yeah. state a reason. You can't yeah, have, exactly. can have 33,000 employees and not have a few weirdos. This is, Every this administration is the, uh, has This is it. the argument that when, when you would come after us, as a, when you would come after Democrat administrations, um, you know, picking on BMV employees and things like that, this is the same argument that, you know, we would use well, in defense back. But it's, it's true. You but, can't have that many employees and not have a few weirdos. It's well, this just, is well, the number two guy at DCS. But here's the thing. This isn't, this, exactly, this is the number two guy at DCS. This well, is yeah, a... General Carr a week or two ago. Right. Another high-ranking. High, high high this is another high-ranking person. Um, the other challenge here, too, is this is not challenge, but the other point here is this is a former prosecutor. So you expect a prosecutor, especially an elected county prosecutor, to have a higher set of standards and ethics. And the fact that he's going around allegedly trolling for interns on LinkedIn, um, first of all, is gross. And then second of all, the content of what he was sending her was totally inappropriate, which leads you to believe, was the guy doing his job at all? I mean, you're, you're there to benefit kids and you're spending your time trying to hook up with a 19-year-old intern. It's just, it's, but, it to that point blows my mind. Whether or not he's doing his job, you put the other cases that he's been responsible yeah. to in jeopardy. Yeah, and so absolutely. now people are going to want to look at I mean, that and, and question could, if he did his job appropriately. Kudos to her for coming forward. The really. governor did say he was disturbed uh, by the allegations. Uh, what do you think about the way all of this was handled? Well, I think he did the right thing swiftly and decisively, and you know, uh, I, I commend him for that. I also would commend the human resource folks at DCS that mm -hmm. that spoke to her first at, at that stage. That's, that's a good point. If they, they, yeah. take it that's a good point. If they right were not the start, yeah. taking it seriously, who knows mm -hmm. what would have happened. And you have some familiar, and, and familial the right uh, thing. Uh, history with your former, with your wife being the top personnel She was person the state personnel yeah. director under Governor Pence. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, it appears to me that what happened, and if you're the parents of the, of the intern or if you're the intern, you're uh, happy that this was dealt with swiftly and that he can't do this kind of thing again. Um, we, we've got to wrap it up soon, but I want to give you guys a chance to, uh, anything else stood out to you this past week, uh, local, state, national level? We haven't talked a whole lot with the panel about the national uh, news fr from this past week. Laura, you look like you've got, you've got a thought or two. <laughs> I'm right? not, a, I'm, I'm going to really watch it. I'm, I'm going to slow it down today and I'm not going to dominate the... I'll take your time. I'll not take the panel. <laughs> well, no, actually, I was going to talk a little bit about just the iLearn debacle. Mm -hmm. um, it just feels like we are continually 
continually back at this place every year. And I, I think sometimes maybe it's just the symptom of a dysfunctional education problem. Um, I mean, when you think about it, it's $45 million this test to administer to kids, which we can't use. We're going to hold the data harmless. And as a parent, I mean, you, you think to yourself, wait a minute, we went through all of the testing last year. How, how hey, am I even going to use this data? It goes for the grades. There's so much pressure. I mean, most people I know just look at their kids' NWEA scores because that's the best way to monitor their growth and their progress. I don't want to sound too old here, but, you know, when I was a kid, we took the Iowa basic test. It took two or three <laughs> hours. You had a pretty darn good idea <laughs> where you stood. Yeah, achievement tests. And now these schools, they start, their, they start their year three weeks early so they can teach to the test. Yeah, it's right. Nice. It's, it's perverted Thank the you, entire education system. And I always, when I was in the legislature, I was on the education committee for a couple of years when Greg Porter was chair, and I felt bad for the teachers because we, we moved the goal line every, every single yeah. session. There's no way a well, teacher or an administrator could, could perform well. We just got my daughter's NWA test back. She's in first grade. Yeah. I mean, they, right from the start. Yeah, right? from yeah. the start, yeah. And that's really one of the best ways to measure the progress because it's adaptive. And, I mean, you, you get these emails saying, oh, well, the iLearn scores are coming out. If you want to contest your child's score, you can. And it's before you even get the test results. <laughs> so I, I, it just makes, it makes absolutely no sense. Anything else stood out to you this past week? Uh, well, you, you know, it's, it could be every week, frankly. <laughs> but our, our good friend, the president, I mean, you know, he says that... Uh, you know, my, my uh, Melania, my Melania. You missed, you missed our side eye. Yeah, you missed totally. the side eye to Tony. Melania has gotten to know Kim Jong-un, wherever the heck his oh, name gosh. is, very well. And then she looks, you got to see the look she gives him, like, what? And then the White House comes out and says, well, actually, she's never met the man. I mean, it's just statement after statement after statement, which then makes you wonder, um, you know, what is true? What is ever true that comes out of that man's mouth? Now, I will contrast that with an incredible interview this week in the Atlantic with James Mattis. That guy is the greatest public servant, servant in America since World War II. Read the Atlantic article. He's got a new book coming, or I think it's coming out September 3rd on mm -hmm. leadership. And he said at the end... I don't think Tony's going to be reading he it. Said my, he said, my silence <laughs> on President Trump will not be eternal. So I can't wait for the second book. Tony, I'll go to you Mattis next. Mattis has to respond a, a to that. bigger ego, I think, from what I've heard from folks that um, know him uh, than anyone we could imagine. Um, the Mike Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, probably wants to run for president or at least um, wants people to, to try to push him. And that he was looking to run in 2016, mm -hmm. uh, early on, um, was no friend to the president, I think, um, while he was there, even though the president kind of saved him from uh, uh, from being out uh, because uh, Obama, of what Obama did to, to him. Um, so, you know, the president has had a few folks in his cabinet, Tillerson, another one, uh, and, and they were buddies, Madison Tillerson, that were not on the same page for, with him from the start. And now, you know, these folks come out and write books. They attack the president so they can sell books. Maybe Everybody's they have higher ambitions. Yeah. But in some cases, it's not hard to see <laughs> where people aren't on the same page. Obviously, Dan Coats and Trump clashed. I asked, uh, obviously, Secretary Pompeo a little bit about this week. And I also asked him about, about Russia. Should Russia get back in the G7? His, his answer was, that's what the president thinks. I mean, obviously, you can read into that that maybe not everyone else in the administration agrees with yeah. the president. Sometimes it takes. And, I mean, we hired this president, we, those that support him and voted for him, so that he would do things differently. And he certainly lived up to that. 
Uh, some people get him, some people don't. Some people come around later when they see his logic, and, and that uh, is just a constant uh, kind of thing that happens. For the four best public servants. That's, the, that's seen. the best spin I have I heard in a he long time. It's just the way he it is. needs I mean, to be in the look, White House, let's I'm look telling at you. This, um, Russian <laughs> hoax you need fiasco to be there. For two and a half years, and we did it a lot on this show, we talked about it, and there was nothing to it. Thirty-seven Two and a half people years, got indicted, though. Yeah. Thirty-seven people. Some of them uh, Russians that, that that yeah, they were maybe uh, uh, doing something they shouldn't have been, but had nothing to do with the campaign. Nothing to do with the campaign. The four best public servants Trump hired: Don McGahn refused to break the law. Dan Coats refused to uh, alter his intelligence reports. Jim Mattis refused to uh, take all the troops out of Syria, which would have completely turned Syria over to Russia. And the other is Rex Tillerson, who brought professionalism to the State Department for the first time in, in many, many years, probably since Condoleezza Rice, and they're all gone. And as you pointed out, probably a lot of books uh, to, yeah. to you come forgot, out. You, you forgot the mooch. The mooch. Oh, he was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> the mooch uh, and the I'll president. The, 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 the mooch was in the yeah. same I, category I as Omarosa, whatever her name is. But it just reminds me, to kind of wrap it up, the visit from Mike Pompeo this past week and mentioning that we shouldn't be apologizing, but there's so many examples of what we should be apologizing for. That there is no logic in terms of the behavior coming out of the White House. It's, it is disgraceful on so many examples. See, I knew we'd have more to talk about if we did, if we did delve into <laughs> national politics. Right, a few different views there. How about Biden? I can start, <laughs> I can start raging again if you want me to start raging. Yeah, I can the get polls, there. There's a lot of gaffes coming we'll on. We'll see what happens. Okay, we'll polls, talk about uh, gaffes and your guy and Biden any day. Biden, any perhaps yeah. any day. in one poll, is it an hour? Yeah. Outlier, outlier yeah. or is he uh, still ahead of the field? We'll None see. We've got a debate coming up. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. glad the debate is just one night. And Buttigieg <laughs> is fading. I mean, frankly, uh, Booker's moved ahead. Steyer's moved ahead. Yeah. Uh, Yang's even been up, you know, mm -hmm. two or three percent in the polls. We'll see what happens. I got an email from the Yang people saying this week that uh, the, there's a movement on Twitter about Yang not getting uh, media attention. So. There you go. We mentioned him on the podcast. Right. <laughs> right. we'll, we'll leave it there. We'll see you again All right. next week.